from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me Dori. Dori joining me from Austin, Texas. Dori, the way I like to do it is I prefer the guests to introduce themselves. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your, yourself and what you are up to. Sure thing. Um, so Dori Chitayat, I'm based in Austin, Texas, and I work for a company called Safeguard Global as the, as the CTO. And um, what Safeguard Global is all about is that we try to analyze, recruit, hire, manage, and pay anyone anywhere in the world. Currently, we support more than 100,000 workers. Um, and uh, that ranges everything from EOR, like I was saying, analyze, recruit, hire, manage, pay. So that includes things like EOR, where we will um, like essentially do everything for the entire worker. And effectively, they work for us as a pass-through to the, to the client. But also things like as complicated as payroll, uh, data analytics, um, classification of workers, and we do this globally. Um, so uh, my team, uh, just a bit more context, uh, is definitely a, a, a signature of Safeguard. I have 155 developers and product folks based across 22 different countries, um, everywhere from Brazil, um, United States, Turkey, uh, uh UK, India, you name it. So um, we're a very remote team. We're a work in any way team. And uh, uh, we're playing with some interesting technology that I'm looking forward to talking with you about today. Yeah, sure. Before we, you know, um, dig deep in, in this the technology, um, something I'm always interested to, to hear is like how you started your journey in, in tech and what drew you specifically towards AI and system development? Um, so my father is a inventor. Um, he came from Baghdad, Iraq, and uh, just after World War II. Uh, so he's up there. He's in his 90s. Uh, but he, he came over because he had learned engineering. Uh, he got a dual master's in electrical and mechanical. And then after that, he ended up inventing things like the linear motor. Uh, he helped work on the Apollo missions. He helped invent uh, how you manufacture the stint that goes into your heart. He, um, he was Entrepreneur of the Year in the United States. And also, um, uh, he's part of the Technology Hall of Fame from New York. So growing up, I grew up around people that every day were trying to invent the future. And I just thought that that's what you do. So I never had it in my mind that you do anything different. So at 16 years old, I was writing software. I wrote, you know, started in college. I used software as a way to pay some of the bills. And then when I graduated, I didn't necessarily think I wanted to be a software engineer, but I, I, like it just, I tried a bunch of other things. I like looked for other jobs and just like none of them spoke to me. 
So I said, okay, well, um, I'll do something similar to what my dad was doing, but you know, maybe more on the software side. So I jumped into robotics uh, and I wrote an ERP system for a robotics company. Um, following from that, uh, somebody heard, hey, you wrote an ERP, you must be good at ERP. So why don't you help us with an SAP rollout in China for a oh. big company? And I was like, oh, okay, enterprise software. I haven't done that before, but what could be the difference? <laughs> this is a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I cut my teeth on that. That was difficult. Um, and after a, a time of struggling with that, I realized, you know, maybe I should go and try more startup stuff. So involved myself, I created a startup around social e-commerce, um, also based in China and uh, with the headquarters in the United States as well. And, um, and for three years, I popped back and forth between um, China and the US. And in there, I learned about XP. Um, I got really into the XP world. I was really excited about Lean Startup. Um, and um, from there on, you know, I, after that, I went on to, you know, founding a digital agency. I worked uh, and helped build up a digital agency in a bigger company. I went into some consulting. I've done ad tech, med tech, finance, banking. Um, and now <laughs> I found myself here in HR technology. So Safeguard was kind of a, a product that, initially had to be kind of sold to me. I wasn't really like payroll. Doesn't really sound that exciting. But then I met the CEO, Bjorn Reynolds, who helped invent the EOR market, helped really push global payroll. And he explained to me, what we're doing here is about inventing the future of how people work. Like in the end of the day, what prevents people from being able to work in any way is a lot of the foff, the friction that gets in between them and the employment relationship that they want, that them be, and, and employers being able to engage the best talent anywhere in the world. Um, and so I said, okay, that's something I could get on board with. And so the rest is history. I've been here for two years. Um, I built up the team. We started with 30, 30 people in the product and engineering department. As I said, we're 155 now, but definitely not 155 strong. We feel like a thousand. Because we only hire the best talent in the world. And um, yeah, and I'm very proud of what we've been able to accomplish. Wow, that's really a, an amazing journey, Duri. And, um, you know, a lot of things came to my mind now. So two things, actually. First, you are in an HR tech company. And yourself, you said, like, you have a team over 22 countries. So... Part of what you do, like, is it also something that will benefit companies uh, in managing remote teams as well, same as yourself you do? Or is it like only in pay? I know like HR tech is a very broad and maybe you maybe later we can explain, you know, what is HR tech. But do you use your own, do you solve your own problems with the software that you produce? That's what, exactly what we're trying to, the, the old saying of, uh, eat your own dog food, or maybe the more uh, polite way is uh, uh, drink your own champagne, uh, depending on how much you love your <laughs> software. I think, I think we try to do that a lot. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that um, we don't have solution for every problem yet, but that's precisely what we're trying to move to. Because as we run into our own problems, for instance, I have great people that I've tried to, I've tried to bring on the best talent. But I, for instance, one person I hired, he was in, he's a Polish citizen 
that's been living in the UK for 20 years and now moving to Turkey. And mm. so employing him, we were like playing Tetris with all the legislation, trying to figure out exactly how best to do that. Luckily, I have an entire department in my company that focuses exclusively on figuring out employment. So like, that's an example of a, a, like us eating our own dog food is like, if I hadn't had that support, I probably never would have hired that person. And that goes for down the list. Like I never would have considered hiring in Nigeria. I never would have considered hiring in Brazil. It just would have been too much effort. I didn't know how do you get them a computer? How, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you um, pay them? Like, what about taxes? Do I have to worry about like legal issues if, if, if for whatever reason they end up leaving the company and they sue us? Like I, I need, I need to know the processes in every company, in every country. And so it's, it's, it's the responsibility effectively of our technology system to be able, um, to help people with that. And, you know, we've got a lot of the bigger blocks of that in place and what we don't have in place for technology, we have 1600 of the best, um, payroll and HR experts based in country. I think we're in over 70 countries. We're based in country to be able to help you answer those questions in the language that, that they speak in those countries, knowing the local legislation. So it's definitely um, a big part of our technology and our, and our company as a whole is to effectively allow companies like ourselves um, to be able to hire wherever they are. Like one of the things I say is, I don't want to care about where they are. Mm -hmm. I just want to care that they're the best. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing, Zuri. Now, back to, you know, the thing I was mentioning about HR tech. Let's, you know, at least from my side, let's admit it. HR by itself, it's not the most funniest thing, right? To, to, to be excited about. And then, you know, we, we started to, to see all these trends like fintech, you know, health tech. And now, of course, for a couple of years, we started to see HR tech. Now, apart from the hiring and I would say the um, administrative task, which is like payroll and these things, what HR tech can solve in, in HR in general or should be solving, I would say? Well, here's how I think about it. I think we've gone through an evolution of thinking about people as like a cog in a wheel, a resource, human resources. One of the first things that I started when, though, when I came on board was I said, I don't want to hear anyone in my company ever refer to a person as a resource. People mm -hmm. are the second, it's a multi-sided market on one side of your organization the customer. And everyone knows we create sales organizations, marketing organizations, your operation, everything in your organization is geared towards serving your customer. But you need to think differently because actually the other side of your organization, the second side of the market is your employees. And ironically, with some of our like biggest advancements in technology, it's the company with the best employees that are gonna be able to take advantage of it. Because a lot of the times it, it's, it's your employees that can adapt. Human beings are adaptable. And so what HR tech should be really focused on, like in the old days, it was about documenting 
who they are. What do I pay them? And that's still important, right? Like you still need like the old days, you'd have a book. Then you had HRIS systems that documented and made it a little bit more easy to use digitally. But now you need to have a system of engagement. You have to have a system that helps you acquire, retain, train the best talent anywhere in the world. If you're going to be successful, if you're in the knowledge industry, and almost everybody is, then you need to have people that are great problem solvers, that, that can tie together the things that are complex and abstract customer problems that can empathize, that can also care, that can care about everything that, they, that they're working on and will go and make the changes necessary um, in, a, in a world where that is disruption is a big part of everything everybody's dealing with. And if you don't have people that can adapt to that, then, then you won't have an organization that can survive. So, so effectively, what I think HR tech is responsible for is about connecting workers and employers in a way that is completely frictionless, that makes the people that use that technology have a competitive advantage. I love this, uh, Dori, because, yeah, we are not resources. I, I like this, you know, it's like maybe um, the first thing that it made like something light up, I would say, uh, and this is how it should be. Uh, still, unfortunately, we have the same, sometimes the old conventions that we inherited, but, you know, it is what it is. Now, um, if you allow me, you know, hot topics in, in the market now is, is AI, right? So everyone talks about AI. Um, from your experience, why should tech leaders be considering embracing AI solutions through the entire organization? It's, it's a disruptive technology, for sure. Um, anybody that says, oh, it's just another thing, it'll come and go, hype cycle, just come and go, they haven't, they haven't actually tried to apply it because it, it is a game changer. Now, there was sort of a period of time where AI, it was still hard to use. Like for instance, mm -hmm. I had, I had um, a bunch of my software engineers I tried to get on um, AWS Jumpstart and try to, try to use um, their tools. And you know, they still, it was still too difficult for them to wrap their heads around. It, it didn't flow in very easily. But now it's reached a point where the tools are just so easy to use that if you're not like taking the effort, your competitors definitely are. And so you're going to fall behind. So effectively, if you're not taking advantage of it, it's not, it's not just about capturing competitive advantage. It's about survival. If you're not adopting AI and getting your teams comfortable with learning new tools, um, then then when, when the wave crashes, they're going to be taken by surprise and you're, and you're, you're going to end up losing. I think, I think, you know, we've talked for a long time in the industry is like, oh, AI is coming and, you know, it will disrupt. And, and people like say, yawn, yawn. I've heard that before. It's now happened. Yeah. And, and every, every industry, whether you're a copywriter or you're a legal expert is going to have an impact. It's going to have an impact on you. Right. And uh, I think uh, really like the sooner is better and waiting. You know, I repeated this couple of times on the show, like 
before, you know, when I was asking this question, okay, how do you see things in the coming five to 10 years? I'm not saying this anymore. I'm saying, how do you see things in the couple months coming up? So how important also like for leaders to be, you know, agile, because, you know, you mentioned about the lean methods and, you know, so how important to, to also embed the adoption of AI in, in, in that? Uh, it's definitely important. Leaders, leaders will help people um, overcome the natural instinct to stay where you are. Like we, for a very long time, there's been a lot of talk in our, our uh, industry around agile. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely not lived up to its promise, partly because um, agile isn't a process. It's a mindset of constantly being close to the evidence and adjusting based on evidence. The reality is that human beings, normal human beings, will have biases. They will, they will want to believe that what is most convenient, which is usually what they're doing already, is the right thing. And they will come up with 20 reasons why, you know, it's not, it's not necessary. Oh, it's too hard. It's too expensive. Things are going to be difficult. I need more resources. I need more training. Like they'll come up with every reason under the sun. Why not to do something? And there will be people that will evangelize, but they will be quickly swatted down if the leaders don't step up and protect. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I've seen from my CEO when we launched an AI product, he was the first one to use it. Mm -hmm. And I could see it, not just based on like him saying he used it. I like actually saw the data. The guy's running queries every single day, using the tool every single day. And he's going to, to all the team members going, have you seen this? Do, can you believe, wow, how amazing this is? And that enthusiasm, I could see it transferred to the, all the people he talked to. And so it's absolutely incumbent upon leaders. You know, one of the things I, I heard before, like in the 2000s, to be a leader meant you were great at finance. You're good at understanding how debt was structured and you can do those sorts of things. Today, what makes the difference is that a leader is a change agent. They can, they can be willing to take risks. They could be willing to put out opinions. They can, they can provide the enthusiasm and the energy necessary for the organization to overcome what is, you know, uncomfortable. Things change. The world is getting disrupted. The way that we worked in the past, you know, can't be the way that we work in the future. And so those leaders help people like embrace that change. Yeah. And here I want to ask you, because you mentioned something, how important also for I still consider myself on, on the technical side, you know, with, with business acumen. So how important for us people in technology to also try, because sometimes what I see people doing is they go talk to CEOs or they talk to the business leaders, but actually they are not talking their language. So they end up by talking about, you know, uh, as we say, knobs and, <laughs> you know, bolts and, they are not conveying the message in a way where that guy who is in front of me is understanding what I'm saying. Because all that I'm telling him, imagine 
hey, like we should adopt these uh, large language models because they are built on, right? So how important is to convey this into a business language? I mean, it's definitely important. Um, is and it, how to do it? It's important that you, that, you, that you can explain, and this is true for any technology, not just disruptive technology. Okay, right. You have to be able to explain, if I do X, I will get Y. Like, of course. Um, but with some of these sorts of new disruptive technologies, you know, I will say I've been, I've been less than perfect in how I can tr train people, like, like to explain what it actually means without them actually seeing it. And one of the, the metaphors I've, I've kind of hit back on is, is something I think it's in comes from lean thinking, which says the further away someone is from a problem, the harder it is for them to solve it. Mm. And so there's another job that we have to do, which is take them to the Gemba, Genshi Gibutsu, bring the actual leaders, bring whoever you want to chain, bring them to the actual thing and have them work on it at that level. Not at the level of abstraction where, you know, LLMs, here, let me send you a, a thing that came from Forbes. Like, you know, that could be helpful for like creating some hype, but for people to actually understand tangibly what it means, they have to be able to feel it for themselves. And so it's part of your job, I think, as a leader to bring people to the work, not just to bring the work to them. Now, like, let's say we decided, you know, everyone agreed, yeah, that we will do this, um, you know, we will embrace this new technology, we're going to adopt it. But what do you think is the success formula to, to get things in the right way? Ooh. Well, so I'll give you my formula that I've been championing, but I, I will admit up front that it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than this. So um, the way I've kind of bucketed things is in the three buckets. First, it's the talent gap. Second, it's the culture gap. And the third thing is the data gap. The, the first one, talent. One of the things we talked about earlier was Without the right people, some things are really, really hard and some things completely impossible. Like it doesn't matter how good your strategy is. If you don't have the people on your team that are good problem solvers, that are adaptable, that are enthusiastic, um, it's pushing a rock uphill. So you have to have the right people. And, and one of the, the key the key roles that, you know, many people are now saying might be the, the bit, the most important role in the next two years. And one that is in increasingly high demand is someone that is an AI specialist. And what I mean, isn't somebody that writes large language models and not actually at the foundation level, but somebody that is capable of working up and down the AI stack, somebody who knows what Langchain is, understands how open AI differs from Claude understands like the details of like, if I'm doing copywriting, maybe I should think about Jasper. Like they should be able to kind of think about how all these tools work and be able to decipher what's hype 
and what can actually help people. And so it, those sorts of people like have business acumen, good communication skills, great problem solving skills, a little bit technical. Maybe they have some data engineering background. They might have some software engineering background, but like you could see it's kind of a, it's a mishmash of a role. So that's really important. I think that's the talent gap. The second one, which is about culture is a little bit also what we talked about is you have to have an organization that's capable of change. And it's not just capable of it. It does it every day. Because as you said, we're measuring things in, in, in dog years now. It's, it's, it's a week, a month, it's two months. Like the market's moving, new things are happening. And so you, you, you can't get married to like your solution. You have to figure out like my system is an evolving system. It's a, it's a, we're in a complex adaptive um, environment and any new adjustment that comes in, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to see the evidence and I'm going to take an action. And so creating the culture that is like very well attuned, not to like creating charades of, you know, success charade, but instead they're saying what's actually happening. They have the evidence. They, they can show you the receipts and they're, um, and, and they're, they're able to be proactive. It's not a hierarchy. It's very flat. So it's a lot of the stuff we've been talking about for years, but it's now in hyperdrive. And then that's great. Yeah. Please go ahead, Turi. Well, then just briefly, the third one that might be, might be interesting to folks is the, uh, is the data side. Now this is a super common oh, yeah. base, but it's, it's, a the data itself is another thing that if you, if you're locked, it, I've worked in some organizations that are very legacy. And so like the process of getting access to the data can be a process of years. So even with the right people and the right cultural maturity in the, in the wrong circumstances, you're still going to struggle. So data, the maturity of your data ecosystem is also very important. Dori, actually you, 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 you nailed it. I would say by mentioning the three pillars over here. Now, the question is, can we use AI to tackle some of these, um, some of the chance that might come up while, while doing this deployment? Or maybe any other emerging tech. Do you say, do you see any, any role in, in tackling, for example, the talent gap, the culture gap and the data gap? Um, it's a great question. I think AI, at least so software we're building, we're trying to help with finding and enabling the best talent. So certainly within our ecosystem, I'm trying to create products that make it easier for you to find the best people, hire them, bring them on board, be able to decipher what local legislation means. We've rolled out things like, um, like chatbots, but more than that, we're also putting in AI under the hood to, in order to do fraud detection, in order to, you know, expedite people's onboarding. Um, so, um, there's a, there's a lot of things that help in the talent realm that I'm definitely, you know, I, I could talk, I could talk all day about that. In the culture domain, that's a really interesting one. I mean, a big part of the culture that I'm trying to build here is making sure every single person in our organization is starting to use tools that are AI enabled, AI powered. Because I think, for instance, whether you're doing marketing or you're writing an email for a client, 
or whatever, whatever it is, there are now hacks that like that are coming in and they're coming in fast that can, that, that can assist you. And if you're not attuned to that, if you're not aware of it, um, and if you're not like constantly searching it, you're just going to end up being less efficient and also missing out on future opportunities that will build on it. So there's certainly an aspect of AI making sure that everybody's empowered. And these things can include, like, for instance, within my software engineering department, we were the fir- one of the first to adopt um, uh, Copilot, GitHub Copilot, because, mm-hmm. you know, that was something that we knew was coming, um, uh, bought onto it right away. As soon as um, it was integrated with OpenAI, first ones to use that. Um, and it's just, it's helped us immeasurably in the speed to which we can deploy and, and test and develop code. Gives you a lot of the scaffolding that is necessary for that. And then the last bit around data. Now, definitely there's little hacks as well in terms of uh, helping you unlock your data. Like I was just the other day, um, uh, thinking, okay, I need to take a data structure that looks, you know, it had like three columns and I needed it to basically pare it down and, and transform it into JSON. Now there's plenty of ways that I could have done this differently. Um, but I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun if I could just toss this into OpenAI and see what kind of data models it gave me back. And yeah, it gave me a great model and was able in two button clicks, like be able to use it. So there's certainly um, little hacks that that uh, AI can can help you with. Yeah, regarding the last one, I'm not a data scientist. I'm a curious guy. Like I like to keep testing things. And I was thinking, okay, how I can test the uh, code uh, interpreter that, uh, you know, they released a couple of weeks back. So funny enough, you know, the, the, the real estate, uh, I mean, the department responsible for real estate transactions here in Dubai, they have a... Uh, open data policy so you can go of course you don't see names but you can download the transactions so i said okay let me get a sample give it to OpenAI, and ask a few questions like simplify it to me find trends i was shocked i mean, you know like, i remember i took a crash course in data science like a couple of years back and what you know they taught us maybe in, in 10 days like OpenAI was able to do it in just like a couple of seconds moreover you know what is called data cleaning or cleansing. Um, also, it was able to do it by itself because it found a it found a field and it said, hey, like this field contained brackets. I'm not sure what is that. And then it's called to correct. Oh, this is the currency. Fine. Let me continue. And I was, what? Like, yeah. Really, ama- really amazing. It is. I mean, it, the, the, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I remember uh, back, I think in 2010 or something like that, I was working at a, a health healthcare or a, a, a pharmaceutical company and we're sitting on petabytes upon petabytes of data um, and people were talking about hey we'll be able to create disruptive health outcomes by being able to use this data and then everybody said uh can't actually do that because data is dirty like complex difficult to actually merge things together and we had we spent millions millions and millions of dollars on both people and technology to solve a problem, which I believe, like you just described, probably could be solved with something like OpenAI in you know hours or days. Um, so I think I think it definitely a lot of that data cleansing, data quality, testability 
you know, particularly legacy code. Wow. Like what a difference it makes, like just being able to go in and help you create unit tests on, uh, on legacy code that it, it, it definitely, um, it's a game changer. Absolutely. You mentioned something about the role of an AI specialist and you mentioned that uh, his or her role would be just keeping up with, you know, what tools, but how to keep up. And, you know, today we, especially after uh, OpenAI, um, you know, they, they open their APIs more in a more broader way. Every day we see a new tool coming up, right? Popping up. So how to keep, you know, with this fast paced uh, movement. And again, it's not only open AI. So cloud is there. And I'm not sure if Google, they will open the API for Bart. I'm sure they will after, after some times. So we're going to see, I think, kind of a bubble of, of these AI tools. Well, what's your, your take on this story? Definitely. I, if I was, I wouldn't be in the LLM space right now. Like, I think there is going to be a ton of, a ton of competition there. And and they're all going to get really good, really fast. And maybe some of them are going to get specialized. I think, I think what strategy I have is I'm saying the strategy isn't to have the best strategy, uh, meaning like to have the right answer. The strategy is to constantly adapt. And so build in the, make sure that whatever you build is is very cost-free to change or very low cost to change rather. Mm -hmm. Well, that enables people to overcome their biases, not, not feeling like they have to defend their previous solution, but to be um, kind of designing for whatever's coming next, to design for the unknown, to design for like whatever you're building to, to be a swap. You could swap things out. And I think that that's one of the um, things that, other people have hit on as well. Like for instance, Langchain came along uh, as a tool to help um, you be able to intermediate whether or not you're going to open AI or you're going to some other large language model and to be able to handle configuration adjustments and upgrades and, and make things a little bit more open. open. So like a, um, a Terraform for AI. And I think that that's just such a smart thing for every organization to do is like to bake those kind of evolutionary artifacts into your products so that um, your team members can feel open to experimenting, trying new things, you know, because, you know, one of the things that we know is that we're fighting against people's um, nature, uh, loss aversion, as, a, as an example, like I, I put blood, sweat, and tears into the software, I, I don't, I don't want to see it thrown away. So how do you make it so that they don't feel that? How do you make it? Mm. That's, that's the evolutionary aspect of it. And also it's who you hire. You know, I can't teach someone to go to meet us. Like they either do or they don't, right? I can't teach someone to read the blogs. Like they either do or they don't. If they're not, if that's not something they enjoy, if that's not a, uh, you know, they're going to be a little bit of a laggard. That's just the way it is, right? Like you just, like, there's no other way to get it. You have to be out in the world in order to learn stuff. So if that's not your normal mode, I'm sure you're a great person. I'm sure you're a great software engineer, but you're going to be a little slower. You're going to be a little bit further behind. And so who you hire needs to be people that are on that cutting edge. If they've never written anything in, if they've, ever, if they've, never, if they've never contributed 
if they've never been part of startups, if they've never like, um, if they don't go to meetings, if that's not something that they like to do, um, you can't train it. I don't think. Yeah, 100%. I agree with this. It's very spot on, I would say. Now, as we, we, we almost coming to an end, and let's talk about, you know, startups and entrepreneurship. So what do you think, you know, founders, especially in this age where things move fast, should be focusing on both from technology perspective and from business operations perspective? Um, so many things. Uh, a founder's job is so difficult. And I, I, I've been there. I understand uh, that any advice I can offer will feel pale because just the, the vast array of plates that you have spinning is, is hard. But a, a few things come to mind. Um, first, make sure that you're in the right market. So with, with what's going on today, there will be certain markets that there are um, advantages to AI. You're like, if you're dealing in a fractured market where disruption is, is very possible, um, uh, where where you where where you could bring in maybe some adjustments to uh, business process to replace um, uh, human intervention, um, particularly things that are on the lower order of of, of people's um, creativity, um, then it is a a great space for you to be in, and it's and it's a space where you can innovate and adapt quickly. I think that that's that's one of the main things I learned was picking the right market is, is very important and, you know, going to where the innovation will be. I think that that's, that's, that's a very important aspect of it. Um, other things that, um, are, are important as well is constant direct feedback from customers. And I know that that's something that people say a lot, it's a little cliche, but, um, what I mean by that is, is don't build software that people don't want. And the way to know whether or not people want it is that people are using it. And so being really on top of your metrics, on top of your funnel, and that's something that regardless really whether or not you're in a startup or whether or not you're in a larger company, you, you need to understand um, how, the, if you're bringing innovations, if you're bringing change to that software, um, you need to understand really the effect that it's having on people and it, it can't be incremental anymore. I think today, we're moving into the world of exponential change. So you need to be thinking about your uh, metrics in terms of um, a different order of magnitude value that you need to be creating today than, than in years past. Right. So it's not like anymore about, hey, I can do it like one hour faster or I can do it $10 cheaper. So it should be like on a larger magnitude otherwise. And unfortunately, Dori, like what I'm seeing recently, is a lot of people are jumping on the, you know, this gold rush, let's call it, of, of AI. And they are developing products and they say, guys, okay, you just put the name of AI on it. But, you know, like probably what will happen is like maybe OpenAI through Microsoft now, it's, they are doing this. So probably Microsoft, they will come up with the same product and they're going to give it to their customers for, you know, for the subscription that they already charged them. So why you are building this product? So I think also here, finding the right problem that you can really differentiate and it takes 
a lot of time for the others to to imitate you is 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 also something that they should be doing in my opinion i don't know what do you think uh yeah i ironically um often what i'm seeing is that um differentiating based on your technology can be really hard one of the interesting things is being able to differentiate based on your combination of technology and people mm -hmm. um that's a really uh, uh interesting thing that you could build up a moat around because uh um one thing i'm seeing for instance is that uh Technology, uh, a lot of this large language models, for example, are relying on data that could be over time degraded. We're seeing that already 25% of the internet's content is being created by AI itself, right? And that probably is going to go up and up and up and up. And so that, that content is going to be like basically polluted. And so um, finding ways to create real unique insights, real unique data um, it requires uh, people, people with creativity, with close connections to actual events on the grounds, uh, real, um, uh, real insights, real discovery. Uh, and so that's, that's the source of innovation that I think that people that get too infatuated with the technology can overlook. Um, the technology is great, but it's a combination of technology and people that can really differentiate. Right. That's hundred percent right. And, you know, I believe. People ask me sometimes, do you think it's a hype? I'm telling them it's not a hype, but the hype is, you know, when you try to imitate and then, you know, people will say, okay, like, for example, something that uh, generates marketing content, right? Yeah, P people will, will get so used to it. So they think it's now part of what we have already and they will forget what's behind it. So you need something really, which I would say like leaves a lot of um, effect on, 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 on your daily life, your business, whatever. So really can, it's tangible. And here, this is something we used to say when I, you know, and I still say it, of course, in business, like people buys from people, people want to, to understand your culture, your um, motivation, your vision, uh, because at the end of the day, all technologies at some point in time, they would emerge and become available for everyone. So like, this is my own theory, like, you can differentiate yourself maybe for five years, maybe maximum, but at, at a certain stage, everyone will have the same technology. Like, of course, this is why you will keep trying to be ahead of the competition. Yeah. It's, like, it's my right own two, two cents. I, could, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is, you know, after I would say 20 plus years of, uh, I'm passionate about startups. I didn't start a company myself. I mean, in the sense of a tech company, but I love to read about, you know, what they do, how they succeed, how they fail. And, you know, this is the, I would say the trend that I've seen over the years, like the ones who were always being, and this is why you mentioned something very important, dude, like you need to always be adapting new things. Otherwise you would be wiped out. You would be out of business, I would say. Um, Dory, where people can find more about your company and about you? Uh, well, uh, you can find us at safeguardglobal.com. Um, and uh, for our products, you could go to app.safeguardglobal.com and register for free. Uh, use some of our AR products like ChatSG, which allows you to, for free, uh, get access to uh, uh, basically our entire 15 years of knowledge. Um, on local markets, how to hire, you know, what, what kind of requirements they have in different countries, what it means in the UK to be IR35. So um, I'd 
encourage folks to go check that out. And, um, and always I'm available on LinkedIn. I love to connect with people and, uh, you know, have great conversations. So this has been really great, Mehmet, and I appreciate you, uh, inviting me. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet today. I have one final famous question. What is the question that you wished I asked you and how you would answer that? Uh, well, I think, I think you did. I, I mean, you pulled, you pulled all my, my, uh, my hot button topics out of, out of me. I think the one, one topic that, that might be of interest to you and, and, and your listeners, um, is what it means to support people and, uh, a, a kind of a, an organization in a, in a world where we're demanding so much of people. Like I said before, we're, we're demanding people to challenge their biases. Like every day I come to the, to the job and I say to my team, well, why can't we do it? We can do it. Let's do it. Come on. Like, you know, and I'm challenging people and you know, like I'm telling people, oh, that's going to take you six weeks. I want it tomorrow. Why can't we have it tomorrow? I want it tomorrow. We can make it tomorrow. Come on, let's do it. Come on. I'm constantly challenging people. What, what, how, what does it mean to support people? In that kind of environment where we are, where we are, where we're pushing, we're pushing the edge, we're going, trying to go fast, we're asking for high performance. And so this is what it looks like to me. Work in any way. Work in any way to me means you set your hours. You can live wherever you want to live, right? You don't have to be, you don't have to come to the office. You can work remote, but you can also go to the office if you want to. We have, we have, we have offices all over the place. Um, you can take holidays when you want to, right? If, if your kid's swim class is Wednesday at noon, take off. You do what you want. You do what you want. It's, it, it's, there's a, like I said before, there's a two-sided market. One is for the customer and one is for the employee. And so I need to ask a lot for my employees, and I do, um, but I want to give a lot too. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm, I'm giving them freedom, trust, um, the ability to pick their own tools, their own technologies. Like, believe me, if I, if, if I, if I had my, I have a ton of tools that are my favorite. I'll go around and say, you should use this. You should use this. You should use this. And I still do. I still encourage, right? But they get to pick. In the end of the day, if they want to use the Django over, uh, Django over, over, over next, fair enough. Fair, you know, fair play. You do what you want. That gives people, I guess, the confidence to then go and innovate because they feel ownership. They feel that they have autonomy, mastery, and purpose, and uh, or at least the autonomy part. Hopefully, I could give them also some help with mastery and purpose. But um, so that's one thing that I think is also important here because you know we've talked a lot about like the changing world and how hard it is, and you know what co companies need to ask from their employees and only hiring the best, et cetera, et cetera. But there's that other end of the the other side of the of the coin, which is that you know. When you ask a lot, you have to give a lot. And that's a, that's a big piece of the puzzle. I love this, Dori, and I wish that more uh, technology leaders and leaders in general will, will think the same way uh, that you think, because unfortunately, um, from, I would not say personal experience, but personal observation, um, companies are waiting a lot from their people, but they are not giving back uh, the way they should give. And I think this culture um, that you talked about is is something, you know, I encourage every company to, to follow it because th they will be the winners on the long run. And 
I, without mentioning names, you know, I was just seeing a couple of LinkedIn posts before we, 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 we start to record. And I saw differences, you know, between people who you can feel, yeah, they, they, they are like, they are seeing the company as their family, not for the sake just to show off, but really you can feel that they really feel that they are part of that company. The company is something important for them because the company sees them as someone important also. On the other side, I speak with other people and they say, you know what, I'm doing the job because it's just So, but when you do it the way you described it, and uh, I wish that more people would follow the same approach because first it's good for everyone. It's a win-win situation and it's a win for all of us because you can get top-notch technology developed in a uh, domain, which is again, touching everyone. Like, so HR tech is for everyone, right? So. I wish that everyone would follow that, Dori. Dori, thank you very much for, you know, the time today. I know you have a very busy schedule and um, I enjoyed the discussion. A lot of information you shared with us today. Um, and this is, you know, I say to, to the listeners or if there, someone is watching this, uh, guys, I always seek your feedback. So if you have any questions, you can um, reach out to me. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me directly there. If you are also interested to be guests on the show, don't be shy. Just reach out and we can arrange for that. Time zones is not a problem. Dory is today in, the, in Texas. I had some guests in, in, in New Zealand, in Bali and uh, Japan. So <laughs> we are all over the world, I would say. So it's not, not a problem. Thank you very much for tuning in and we'll meet again next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hit that subscribe button, share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.